What's up, guys? Welcome back to the West Vi Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Disruptive Adventism. Disruptive Adventism is a platform that encourages people to contribute to the changing of the fabric of Adventism through conversation, collaboration, and content creation. If you want to join in, head over to disruptiveadventism.org. It's just so important to just listen to people and not build up these preconceived perceptions. And this is something you mentioned earlier as far as like you you notice that you get this perception from people that you're not even like you're not that guy that they're building up this vision of you're 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 like this you know gentle giant as as it were but it's very hard to overcome those perceptions and the struggle is that people they don't listen whether they don't listen with their eyes as in building up these preconceived ideas and just i see you let me get to know you let me not see a skin color let me not see a race let me see a human being with experiences with a life lived that i have no idea what they've been through let me see that person let me get to know that person and hopefully understand them what's up guys i am super excited about today's episode one of the first things I knew one of the first conversations I knew I wanted to have when I decided to do this podcast and I knew that I was going to include creativity as part of the leadership dynamic uh, and conversation was I wanted to talk to a director. When you think about tying creativity and leadership together, like a film director, it's like exactly that. It's someone who's leading a team of people, a cast, a crew to create something, to draw out this vision that they have. And so today's episode, I get to do that, uh, to sit down with uh, a fellow that I met here in Coeur d'Alene named Caleb Johnson and talk about his journey through art and film and direction. And uh, it came out super great. Now, maybe you're listening to this and, and you're thinking to yourself that, that you would like to use visual storytelling to change people's lives. Maybe you feel called that, that you want to have some sort of development of your filmmaking skills. You've, you've kind of dabbled in it. You'd like to go further. You want to expand your reach. You want to develop your existing skills to tell more meaningful stories. I'm excited to be partnering with Walla Walla University, who offers a Master of Arts degree in Cinema, Religion, and Worldview. This sounds like a really cool program of study. It's a two-year hybrid master's program, so you spend like two weeks each year on the campus in intensives, and the rest of the time, you're learning from where you're at, in your current job, uh, at home, you're doing your courses online, and so you're continuing to work and be involved in your life where you're at while you're learning. So right now, applications are open for their summer 2019 cohort, and they're actually waiving their application fee. So if you want to learn more about the program, you can visit filmforhim.org slash called. And also just stay tuned in this month. We've got some great content coming out uh, with uh, the West Vi podcast and the uh, Masters of Cinema, Religion, and Worldview for the rest of May. So can't wait to share that with you. Um, you can check that out. Again, it's filmforhim.org slash called. You can learn to tell stories and create change. So my conversation today with Caleb kind of covers the gambit. He started out as a painter and eventually transitioned into film and acting and, uh, and has just tied that together into a really cool story and career. Um, but I have to tell you, in the course of this, um, we do get a little carried away, and uh, and we did start talking about Endgame. So if, if you haven't seen Avengers Endgame, and you think you're going to want to see Avengers Endgame, um, spoiler alert, uh, we totally blow the movie for you if you haven't seen it yet. So just be aware of that, because we do mention that before we just totally ruin it, but uh, it's real quick. So when you hear us say spoiler alert, you want to jump forward about two or three minutes. But uh, yeah, super fun conversation with Caleb. Can't wait to share it with you. Um, there's there's so much I want to share, but it all comes out in the interview. Came out really great. Hope you enjoy it. We'll talk to you on the other side. 
I grew up in a artistic family. My dad was an artist for 20 some odd years and uh, was very influential in that artistic mindset and exploration. So not only was he an artist, but an entrepreneur and inventor and all these things. So I grew up in a family where nothing was um, out of reach. Mm-hmm. Um, if you didn't know how to do something, you could figure it out. And that mentality, that mindset is probably one of the most important things I've picked up from, from my parents and has been very influential in the things that I do and how I see the world and go about pursuing things. What was your medium before film? Medium was oil. So I focused mainly on realism within the art. Uh, big paintings, about four foot by five foot, huge, like a tiny little kid, just having to like reach up really high to, to, to paint and stuff. Um, my dad was a, he actually, so talking about art and the fact that he was an inventor, he actually invented the art form that he used. And um, he, it was a crystal kinetic art, and it would change up to seven times as you walked by it. So you'd have to do up to, but limited to between three and seven paintings per image. And um, that, it was a very unique, more like uh, geometric style. So mine was completely opposite to his. Hmm. Um, but he was very supportive, and I finished my first painting, and he said, if you, if, as I was working on it, he said, if you finish this, he's about to go to an art show in Arizona. I was like, I'll take this with me and see if I can sell it. Like, all right, cool, sweet. So I finished it. He t- took it with him. And I believe, I believe it was the only painting that he actually sold at the <laughs> the art show. Nice. Which was kind of cool. He called me up. He's like, hey, uh, so I got some news for you. We sold the painting for $700. I was like, oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. So I guess I, I, I can do this. <laughs> but I was, so I was 13 at the time. And I was, I grew up homeschooled. And uh, that freedom of being schooled at home allowed for a lot of things, a lot of creative freedom, um, but allowed us to actually travel with our parents to go to different art shows. And being homeschooled, you, you have that typical stereotype that homeschoolers are very introverted and quiet, which, I mean, I am a quote-unquote introvert, but I, I, I kind of describe myself as a high-functioning introvert <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to where if I need to communicate and open up, and that's very important as a director is to be able to communicate with people. Uh, and that's one of the most important jobs of a director is communicating that vision to the crew, for one, the actors, um, but may, making sure that that vision is clear all the way to the end, mm-hmm. that whatever vision you had at the beginning is expressed in the end product. So having that experience of meeting new people and being just kind of put into that environment of constantly meeting like smart, intelligent people um, was very beneficial. And also another another thing I was, that I'm proud of being able to pull from growing up um, on top of everything else. So I don't know if we're like started or if this like yeah no yeah we're just we're just going for it. You just started it's like oh that's good. So I just hit record. We're just (laughs) we're just rolling with it. So yeah yeah I'm you know yeah it's been a learning process through this whole thing of like when to start recording. So I just sooner the better. I'm learning. So what was it that well what hmm I'm interested I'm interested in painting too, but I wasn't prepared to have that conversation. So. Um, what was it that kind of like caused you to want to, do you still paint? Um, so oddly enough, I've, my whole career has come almost full circle. So started out at the age of 13, um, as an artist up till 17. And that's when I made the transition into filmmaking. Mm-hmm. What happened during those years from 13 to 17 was I was still a kid, you know, uh, having my own career, which was weird. Great. It was a fantastic, you know, head start <laughs> as a young person. Um, but there were still a lot of things that I wanted to do. Just like, I want to, I wanted to play. I'm like inside painting. I'm looking out the windows, like really wanting to be out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the painting really took off then. Through, it did. And so I was featured in the American Lifestyle magazine, uh, along with other child prodigies at the time, you know, quote unquote child prodigies. Yeah. Um, 
and the Tyra Banks show called wanting to have me on their show, but then the entire show just got canceled. So that never happened. But (laughs) that'd been so cool. (laughs) Um, and, uh, I was, I had my artwork in galleries in Texas. And then there was also a water park in my hometown where I grew up that they bought some of my pieces and it's in their, in their, uh, foyer of the hotel. Um, so yeah, it took off for a while. I didn't paint a whole lot. Uh, each painting took about, about a month. I was pretty slow. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of like the whole, like, uh, wanting to do other things, procrastination that came into the, like the art thing. I was a kid, mm-hmm. but I was, I had a career mm-hmm. at the same time, but, uh, it was something I was good at, but it wasn't necessarily, and we talk about passions, mm-hmm. wasn't something I was passionate about. Yeah. And passion is just another complete topic that we can <laughs> talk yeah. about, like how that plays into a creative person's career or anyone's career is, are you passionate about it? That's like the first question. Like, what are you passionate about? Mm-hmm. Um, when a lot of times the things that you almost end up doing for the rest of your life, there is maybe not necessarily something that you are passionate about, right. but it can become a passion, mm-hmm. um, which is that an interesting dynamic. But anyway, so it was it wasn't something that I was again quote unquote passionate about and we had gone through a whole like life change. My dad had sold his art business. We had moved to Oklahoma to be to work at a Christian camp down there as assistant rangers like completely like like whoa, like yeah. <laughs> life change. <laughs> was that Wawoka? What yeah. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like what are we doing? Moved down there. I I uh, got certified as a lifeguard and then got put into the arts and crafts department. Um, and then just had a bunch of different life experiences, but we were there about a year, year and a half, first time going to public school, but it was like the best public school environment I could be put into for a first time, first timer, a uh, very conservative school there. They still allowed for moan silence in the morning and then if kids wanted to gather around the flagpole outside and have prayer or do whatever they wanted they were allowed mm-hmm. to so it was a very good first public school experience where did Excuse the me. where did the transition start to happen how did you get exposed to to film and video and then kind of like start moving that direction so there is practically zero exposure other than just typically watching movies and like wow this is really fascinating and what the attraction was is I wanted to get into it as an actor. I loved, I was very, growing up, I was constantly the kid outside. And I talked about wanting to be outside. Is we lived on 30 acres out in the country, so I had full range of forest and imagination at my fingertips. So anytime I'd watch something or see a trailer, I was like, wow, that's really cool. Like I was really into like Spy Kids as a kid. Um, and so I wanted to buy all the toys and like make everything real. Like I wasn't like, let's make... Uh, telephone out of paper cups and string like no let's make a phone mm-hmm. or let's let's become spy kids like get on the whole gear make the hair everything like i was full and fully committed to the character growing up and uh so like wanting to become an indian so i'd have like khaki pants and like put a loincloth on and just go full extreme no shirt just running mm-hmm. around how did how did how does that work like when you think back on it now and as a kid you probably didn't have like the um the wherewithal to think about being introverted extroverted yeah but, and that, that's a whole nother conversation that, that maybe we need to chase down a little bit. Cause I just went through a whole like Myers Briggs, mm. um, like kind of seminar thing. Yeah, yeah. And you know, they were talking about, they, they separated us into introverts and extroverts mm-hmm. and all the introverts, you know, all the extroverts were over there going like, why don't you guys talk more? Why don't you do more? And all the, all the introverts were like, uh, we talk plenty. The point is, is that we like to think about what we're sure. doing instead of just talking out your butt like you're doing right now, <laughs> telling us that we don't like to talk to yeah. people. <laughs> and, and we think about what we're saying first. But the the stereotypical kind of thing is like, oh, an introvert's going to be quiet and reserved, and like, mm. and and that's typically how it's kind of played out. But how do I mean? That seems like a being an introvert and then being an actor. Yeah. That that seems like a weird combination. Yeah. If you kind of thought through that and kind of like it's, put that together, but looking, um, doing the research, like there's like almost every director or actor, they are introverts, hmm. which is odd. You yeah. wouldn't expect that. Um, their career probably makes them an extrovert, um, but uh, yeah, they, they they are. And I think the biggest thing about that is that as an introvert, we are constantly like thinking processing, analyzing, watching people. And as an actor, that's like the 
pinnacle of what you have to do in your research and becoming that character. Mm -hmm. So you are constantly studying people and seeing how just life happens and taking on that personality. So it really, oddly enough, is perfect for Hmm. becoming an actor. Um, So that was, being an actor was the initial interest. And at 17, we were about to, we were still at the camp. And the thing that happened was we were the first, we were the last ones hired. And the first ones let go because the economy hit Mm -hmm. uh, during that, I think it was like 2008, 2009. And um, we were, our family had to be let go because they had no money. So our home back in Indiana hadn't been sold. My sister and her husband are actually still living there watching it while we were trying to sell it and live out in Oklahoma. So we were able to like, we can just move right back home and just start fresh again. So my parents approached me and recognizing that I wasn't too thrilled with um, painting as a, a career at the time. Like, what do you want to do? Like, what are you, what are you interested in? And that's when I expressed the interest in acting. And as any good parent would do, they, you know, well, yeah, that's cool. All right, great. They were always very supportive. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at the same time, being a concerned family, but also a Christian family, they had rightly so concerns about me moving to California and trying to pursue acting. Um, for one, they they said that as an actor, it's going to be really hard for you to go to California and get a career or as an actor without having to sacrifice your morals somewhere along the line to get a role. Because there's a million and one people there trying to do the exact same thing you are who are more willing to do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, I'm, I'm so... That's right. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, no, that's I, I totally see what you're saying. And they suggested, why don't you become a director? You'll have a greater, potentially longer career in the film industry. Um, But you can also act in your own films. And you can control the content, not to worry about whatever the role is. And uh, have the best of both worlds. So I was like, well, that's that's, that's an interesting thought. So I thought about it. I was like, yeah, no, this is is great. Um, Let's do it. So after moving back, we sold the house that we had built in Oklahoma. Parents took that money to invest in our first feature. My dad had, on top of everything else that he's done, has written books. Um, He wrote um, the Johnson's Word Study Concordance, which is like a three or four inch Hmm. book um, on the Bible and breaking it down and everything. So he's done plenty of writing in his time. So he's like, I can write this script. We'll take the money from the sale of the house and put it into making this film. Because we didn't have to buy a house, we just moved right Mm -hmm. back into ours. And we had the idea of, you know, let's make sure we have our hand in every aspect of production. So that by the time we we get to the point of hiring people, we know what that position requires. We know what to look for in somebody. Um, And I think with anything, if you're in a higher up position, it's important for you to have at least an understanding of whatever it is that you're managing or doing um it just it puts you in a better position of making wise decisions and and understanding the whole workflow Mm -hmm. so we did he did the writing we did the i did the directing we did the casting we did everything the lighting the shooting and we just found whoever we could um Friends of friends were the actors, and we at one point set up a booth outside the entrance of Walmart to just find actors as they were like walking in, like, hey, what are you guys doing? It's like, oh, we're casting for a movie. You want to be in it? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) So not your typical casting call outside of a Walmart, but we were able to find some. Was there any kind of connection when you were thinking about what you would want to do and you started thinking about Mm -hmm. acting and directing, like from from the painting was it was it there's something that like connected between the two it was just like i feel artistic but i don't want to paint and this Mm. seems like the opposite of painting Mm. like what was it what was it that kind of like led you to make that change and kind of land Mm. there from painting realism so what made sense in making that transition was as an artist you have to understand what looks good um 
and if you think of a painting as one frame out of 24 for film, um, you have to, when you're painting, you have to frame the image and compose it in such a way where it's attractive just looking at it. You kind of have to do the same thing with cinematography, except you know, it's moving, but that same kind of idea and mentality does transition over. If you can have the understanding of what looks good on the frame, that, uh, and as a cinematographer, director, all those things, uh, that's important to have. So that, I think that was the biggest thing that transitioned over from being an artist to being a director or, or a cinematographer. So when you're looking at a scene and you're setting it up to shoot it, mm-hmm. like what are the things that you're looking at that help you kind of determine, okay, you know, I want to have the, I want to look at it from just this angle or mm-hmm. I want to make sure the light's coming in this way. Like what are the, what are you looking at in a setting that is key to you to pull out and go, okay, this is how, this is where I want my camera. This mm-hmm. is how I want this scene to look. The biggest thing is everything is di- dictated by the story. Um, and there was a, a short film that and at the time it wasn't even a short film, a friend of mine that I had worked with prior on a, on a film. This is after we've done, I think two films came to me as like, Hey, I want to, I want to, as an actor, they put together their, their acting reels and they have, they pulled just scenes and snippets from all the movies that they've been in to, um, showcase their chops as an actor. And he's like, you do great work. I want, let's just like shoot something that way I can just put it in my room and it looks good and we'll just, I'll use that. So, all right, cool. Yeah, that's fine. And basically he, he wrote up something and it was as if we just took a scene from a movie without any context and just shot that scene. So there's no context for anything taking place because all it was, was just a snippet into a, a, an acting reel. But as as we got into it and I was, I was doing the lighting and cinematography. I like, I had, there's no story here. I don't know why there's nothing motivating what we're doing. So I had to create a, an internal story for myself that would dictate what we, how I would shoot it and how I would light it. So that's where understanding the story really dictates what you do is the character being overpowered by this other individual then in that case, you might put a higher angle or a lower angle on the antagonist showing their power over the other individual and a high angle showing the, their dominance. And uh, Or the lighting and the mood, the colors that you use, everything from the art department and how they set up the, the scene or the set, um, the colors that are used, the type of lighting, the mood, position, the cl- even the clothes that the actors are wearing is all dictated by uh, what you're trying to put across as a, in a story. Um, and that's how I go about it. So I, I break down the story and figure out where the character is on their journey in the story and what best, what angles best dictate that hmm. and express that. Do you find that because you're in tune to that, like I think, I think everyone kind of knows that like, what you were saying, like, you know, the angle at which, you know, someone is in relation to other communicates certain mm-hmm. things, but I think that, that it's easy to kind of just kind of pass over that if you're not like really in tune to it. Do you find yourself like, as you're going through life, like watching a commercial or just in any setting, like seeing the scene and then like kind of looking at, it, okay, based on how that person is in relation to that person or body language, like mm-hmm. kind of then trying to bring in what is the story of what you're seeing yeah. there in that? Does that start to like kind of come out more and more in, in life or is it, <laughs> does it work both ways? I guess is really the question that yeah. I'm asking. Yeah. I mean, anytime, uh, we watch movies, you're always paying attention to that mm-hmm. as somebody who's in the industry. Um, for others, it's just something that is subconscious. And for us, it's watching it and we're getting like, we're, I'm getting this, feeling what is causing that is it the angle is it the actor is it the setting what is it and if you can figure that out then you're able to like all right this does this this does that and you kind of start creating a language of filmmaking and storytelling and so like so once you have that understanding it's like the alphabet of filmmaking um and the same thing you can use the same analogy for for art uh, if 
the eyes are a so when you're in school you, you when you're learning how to write the alphabet you have this whole sheet of just a's and a's and a's and you're just doing it over and over again then b's and c's that's the same thing whenever you're learning to draw is that you draw eyes that's the a and you do noses that's the b and you just do it over and over and over again and eventually you can start writing and you can start drawing faces completely same thing with filmmaking is you learn the alphabet of filmmaking. What does what? And whenever you figure out that aspect and you start making a story of your own, you pull from that, right? I want to express that these two characters are in league with each other. They're in this together. All right, so what would do that? Maybe a two shot from the side where I can see both actors communicating together. Or maybe uh, an over shoulder, over the shoulder from the back, where I see the the shoulder of the one the the character in the back, but also the face of the other one in front of them, showing that they're in this together. They're in the they're in the same scene together. Or maybe this one is feeling isolated and alone and oppressed by the world. So maybe he's just alone in the frame in the center, showing that there's like there's nobody else there. It's just him. And you learn those kinds of things, and you start just piecing those ideas together into a story how much of that is is objective like it's the same for everyone and how much of that is subjective to to you as a director like and how you're going to communicate what it is that you're trying to to get across um there are fundamental rules that you can follow um that everything this does mean this um this is the general feel that you get when seeing this framing or this this thing but like everything, there's always an exception to the rule. Um, the understanding is that a high angle down at an actor expresses, um, there's an understanding of a low angle up at an actor where that expresses um, that that character has dominance over whoever he's talking to. But at the same time, you can use that same angle up at an actor on a high, maybe a high wall, it's a low angle, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that character has power over there, over whoever's down on the ground below. So there's exceptions mm -hmm. to the rule. I was just thinking about that and just, I'm just, you know, in my mind, I'm, I'm just kind of running through this going, okay, how does this apply in life? Right. Cause I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not a director. I'm not an actor, but I do spend a lot of time with people, mm -hmm. you know, and just trying to think about how, how I, you know, how much of that is, is, um, cause I get accused like, I feel like I'm a pretty like laid back, easygoing guy, but I find myself oftentimes people feeling like I'm very like domineering and controlling and like pushy. You have a presence. Yeah. And so I'm, I've been really for the last year, like really trying to figure that out and learn how to try to mitigate some of that so that whatever it is that's communicating like the complete antithesis of what I'm trying to communicate to people, yeah. <laughs> I can start to kind of work through that. I don't know if it's just that I'm just a big guy and that sure. just, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm tall, I'm big, I'm wide, I'm, you know, mm. reasonably strong. And people know that about me. Like, you know, like I'm just, maybe that's just what over, it just kind of like overpowers, mm. like what I feel like is really a relatively meek kind of personality. Like mm. I'm not super dogmatic. I'm not super like, I'm going to have it my way or else. Like I'm pretty, just kind of go with the flow, but, um, uh, people don't relate to me that way. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <clears throat> one thing that, that I've always been curious about is sometimes you'll see a great actor do a terrible job of acting. Mm. <laughs> and, and the only thing I've ever been able to like really pin that to is that it's got to come from the direction because you can have an actor that can that can do you know just an amazing job in one movie the very next movie that comes out you just wonder like how in the world did they even get this job how much i mean how do you control that and what is what is the influence of the director on the actor and getting the performance out that that you're looking for so there's for different directors they have obviously different directing styles just like there's different personalities with actors, there's also different acting styles. Um, and the relationship that the director can have with the actor will change. And there's a lot of things that go into what determines a good performance or a bad performance. One, the directing style of the director, whether he's very hands-on and he has a, a vision for what he wants to happen 
and he's not going to let the actor kind of have their creative freedom. He's like, this is what you do. Do this. And that's, and if it's bad, it's bad. It's, it was just, it didn't work out. Um, not that it was necessarily the actor's fault. It was the director had a certain vision and they, you know, they had a job to do and they did it. Um, at the same time, there are directors who will let have, they have a vision for what they want, but they also understand that this is a relationship. This is a, um, we're in this together. Let's kind of collaborate together and figure out how we're going to best do this. So they let the actors kind of have a little bit more free flow with how they interpret the script and what, what they want done. A lot of it can also be narrowed down to time in preparing for that particular role. Um, or uh, just a lack of understanding of who that character is. There's a lot of things that can go into creating a good performance or a bad performance. Um, There's a lot of just small nuances. So how much does a script, how much does a script factor into the whole thing? Because I'm, you know, I was, I was actually just reading an article today about um, Endgame and and it was referencing back no to spoilers. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert! I'm about to talk about a key key, key point in the movie. Oh, no. <laughs> so, I've seen it, so it's okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so when you know at the end of the movie, when you know Robert Downey Jr. you know gets the in you know the the, the gems and, and he snaps, <laughs> yeah. like um, this is no, this is coming out next week anyway. Whatever, we may have just spoiled the movie for you. Sorry. So this is the very beginning. Yeah. So. <laughs> he says, you know, I am Iron Man. Yeah. Right. That wasn't in the original script. They didn't. That was actually a reshoot, like right at the end of uh, post. Hmm. But that original scene that it's harkening back to is yeah. in the first Iron Man, yeah. and that was a hundred percent ad lib. Like that was that was RDJ deciding he was going to say that in that press conference. I am Iron Man. That's not at all how in the first movie in the first in the first mm-hmm. Iron Man movie. That's not at all what the plan was. That wasn't yeah. what he was going to say. It's what was in the script. Yeah. He just did it. Yeah. But that was that became a defining piece of the character, and it was completely off script. So, how does you know how do you balance that to allow like what I guess really the script is there like this is where we want to go, but then what role does it really play in the production mm-hmm. of a film? I mean, you've got. You've always like, all right, let's get this first take. This is what we're going to do according to the script. After that, after you get what we need, then yeah, take your, do whatever you want and take mm-hmm. your creative freedom. And sometimes there's like uh, gems can come out of it, which can like, oh, wow, that was a, I hadn't thought of that before. And then the, the script writers and the director can go back and like, how can we like weave this into everything? Because this is beautiful. This is an amazing thing. And like stuff like that happens all the time. Something else is like um, Tony Stark's character in the movie he or Robert Downey Jr. on set, he's always eating snacks like frozen blueberries or whatever out of a bag. That was Robert Downey Jr. eating. They couldn't, the whole, the crew could never find where he was stashing this stuff. Like he would just be in the scene and just pull it out of nowhere and just start eating. That's what his character would do. He's constantly mm-hmm. eating something. And they're like, where are you hiding all of this stuff? That was a, a character choice that Robert Downey Jr. made mm-hmm. for having though those snacks and the biggest most powerful thing that an actor can do is make their character relatable and the the fact that his character was snacking on whatever it was had nothing to do with the plot of the story it was just it made the character real like yeah i i snack i do that when you're and especially if you're working in a, a type of genre like superhero movies where everything is just so fantastical, the more relatable you can make that character, the more immersed you can get into that world. It's like, I can be, I snack on berries, I can be Iron Man. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Yeah, that's, an, you know, there's, there's no there's no shortage of articles to read about Avengers and Marvel right mm-hmm. now, but that's the other thing they were talking about, is like, that the whole, and I think this might be part of the reason why DC has struggled so much, mm-hmm. is that, like, they started this whole thing with Iron Man, who is like a B-level comic character. Mm. He's not a main Marvel character in the comic books. Mm. He was kind of in the background. Yeah. They chose him to be the first one specifically because, even though it's still ridiculous, he's flying around in, in you know, a metal suit, but that it could be grounded in 
reality. It was the most achievable character. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that foundation is what allowed him to build. Whereas I think, you know, I, I wonder all the time, like, you know, DC's got great content. Why can't they get it out and make something that's at, now Shazam? Not that it's grounded in reality. Shazam yeah. was actually really... One of their best ones. Yeah, probably the best DC movie yet. And so... Sort of Nolan's yeah. series. But it... Um, well, yeah, but with their shared universe yeah. that they're trying to do. <laughs> as it um, is. Yeah, as it, as it exists today yeah. for all you poor DC fans. <laughs> um, but, you know, they never, it's not really rooted because even, mm. you know, even the way they've tried to do Batman now is not really, you've lost all, it's just like you're mm. jumping into, it's a character we know, but the Batman in the shared universe is not really mm. the Batman that we've known through the previous movies. And so it's, it doesn't connect, you know? Yeah. Anyway, it's like you said, it's all science fiction. Yeah. Well, if you think but, about it, when did we get our first Avengers movie? Mm-hmm. After they had what, maybe two or three Iron Man movies. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the bastard child of the Hulk movies, mm-hmm. as they are, um, and uh, Thor, maybe one or two movies of those. Um, I'm trying to think. Of- who else but they had they established all of these characters in their own standalone movies before even bringing them together and then once we they were brought together we cared about them mm-hmm. we knew who they were so we cared about how it ended the thing that not to you know play the mac versus pc or just pit, pitting like one group against right. another um is we were with how dc did it we were just thrown into this group we had we didn't know who they were. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we knew who Batman was, and yeah. maybe they were relying on the fact that these are popular characters. They'll they'll know who they are, but we didn't know that character. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't know that Batman. We didn't know that Wonder Woman. We didn't know you know. Um, so I think it was like the biggest thing. They tried to do too much too quickly, which the amazing thing. I mean, twenty movies later, mm-hmm. with Marvel, they had that slow progression and and development of their characters, and it's been for the most part, pretty fantastic every time. Mm-hmm. And that's just, you know, credit to Kevin Feige or Feige, however they pronounce yeah. his name. Yeah, that, you know, when I went and saw Infinity War <clears throat> and it just opens, like, in, like, Act 2, basically. It's yeah. just, like, you're in, you, a big battle just ended that, you know, and now you've got two and a half hours of trudging on from that. Where normally that would yeah. be, like, in the middle of the movie, you yeah. know, like, where it starts out. But it can do that because they built they have that foundation. all of this background yeah. with this relationship with the characters. Mm-hmm. And so they could just jump right into it, right? And then Endgame benefited from that, too, because now you, you have this time period where you're seeing these characters mourn. Yeah. And you feel that. So then whenever they come back and take the day, it's even better. To make a really awkward transition from comic book movies to to church stuff (laughs) it relates (laughs) you know one of the things that i've been really thinking a lot about lately that that ties into this is this we try to do that same thing with church right we try to like get you to jump in and care about something that we care about Hmm. because we've been invested in you know in adventism specifically we've been invested in our doctrine we've been invested in who we are we're invested in, in what we're about and then we go and, you know, we meet the guy outside of Walmart to tie back into your story and say, hey, by the way, here's 28 things you're wrong about, and you yeah. should come listen to what I have to say about it without having that relationship involved yeah. to to get people to, like, want to connect to us, as a, to have a relationship where they'll actually care what, what we have to say, mm. you know, and I think I think that that's... A good point that you brought up about DC is like you just—they just kind of threw us into the middle of it. There was sure. no. Now they're going back around trying to build up, but they've already kind of burnt that bridge, you sure. know. <clears throat> when you think about film in relationship to church, pretty much, I think that, um, especially in Adventism, we've really struggled with that. Do you have any thoughts on why it is that we struggle so much to to utilize film well? And where do you think film really could win the day for us if we could find a way to utilize it appropriately? Um, from my personal opinion, I think the biggest reason why that... And I think this is not necessarily Adventist church-wide. I think it's just Christianity as in general struggles with what satan does in anything is there's always an opposite to what christ is trying to do 
or what Christ is doing. He always, you know, he takes music and then something that is beautiful and that connects cultures who can't even communicate to each other verbally and bridges those gaps just through music alone. At the same time, you can have music that tears that apart or causes kids to want to commit suicide because of the lyrics that are just, you know, pushed into their, into their brains constantly. Same thing with movies. We, when we take in information, we take it in uh, one of three ways, and sometimes they all get combined together. One is, you know, visually, reading, watching something, interacting with somebody, sitting on a street bench just watching somebody. Um, audibly, listening to music, just hearing a voice, something, anything like that. Um, and then tact- tactile, you know, inter- physical interaction with something. And the more that you can engage those senses together when learning something or reading or interacting, the greater it its effect it has, the greater you're going to be able to either remember what you're listening to, it's going to impact you because all of these senses are being engaged. The thing that movies do is that it it engages at least two of those senses together which is what makes it so powerful is because it's having that greater effect on you. It would be remiss of us not to be able to use that powerful of a medium to help share the gospel. It's being done, but not enough. And I think what the issue comes down to to answer your question is that because it is so associated with being of the world, which is the whole reason why I decided to become a director is because being an actor, there's all these things that you'd have to do that you may not agree with. Mm-hmm. And it's it's that avoidance of guilty by association. It's like, oh, they're in filmmaking. Oh, they must be, they must do this kind of stuff. When that's nothing that, nowhere near what we're trying to accomplish. So I think that's the biggest thing is just fear of that association and being involved in something like that, which is, I get it, but we need to rise above that. Mm -hmm. And whether it's through podcasts or through documentaries or through uh, narrative work, uh, dramas, if you can use that medium to help spread the gospel, I think that would be, it's an amazing tool. And let's not be afraid of perception necessarily. Like respect it, but don't be afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Understand that that dog, that stigma is there, but trust that you know God can work you know in wondrous ways um, if we just let ourselves be be utilized by Him. So I think it, it's an amazing tool, extremely powerful. Did you ever see the Record Keeper? No. No. Are you familiar with it at all? No. It was a little uh, years a few years ago. I don't know the the whole details of this, but this is this is how I understood it is that I can't remember if the division of the general conference had they wanted a um a visual tool to communicate the great controversy. But they wanted it to be specifically geared towards because this is the problem that I see a lot. Anytime you try to do anything creative in Adventism Mm -hmm. is that we forget that what we're doing is not for us. It's for those who don't know what we know. And so, um, so they were trying to create something that would, could be used to pique interest. Mm -hmm. And I think it was supposed to coincide with like when they redid like the, the, the great controversy for sharing, they did the bridge versions to share, Mm -hmm. which was a whole fiasco in and of itself. But so they wanted this, this, um, web series to, communicate the great controversy theme to to drive interest in the book. And so um, they got this guy. I can't really, I can't remember his name for sure. So we'll just skip that. But he created, it was like eight episodes, but it was from the perspective of angels. So it was um, angels perspective on what was happening in the great controversy, Hmm. different little, Section. So, like the creation, you know, it starts out first one, like 
you hear what's going to happen. These angels are talking in heaven, but it's all steampunk, mm. you know, style. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, anyway, it got completely shut down. It won awards. It won critical acclaim. Oh, wow. um, the production value was amazing. Hmm. And then everyone got, got all upset about it because, you know, we don't know what the angels were saying. They didn't tell us, you know, we don't have record. And, uh, and so, you know, we're making that up, and so it's not truth. You know, it's not authentic. It's not real. Mm. And then, the the director did make a, a a poor choice, I think, in that they portrayed the Holy Spirit as a female. Mm. And so er, that's that's really where it went off the rails, right? But what it was was it was an artistic interpretation of what we know to be true mm. to try to encourage people to engage with it there seems to be this kind of like fear of allowing artistic interpretation of biblical truths, Mm. because if we're not just presenting the biblical truth and it's, you know, here's the words in the order that they were originally Mm. translated from a language that's dead um, into, you know, then somehow we're not doing it justice. How did, you know, and I know you painted more from a, from a realism perspective. So that's, that's trying to be faithful to the original idea, but, but, what role does like artistic expression play in trying to communicate an idea, even if it's just like not right on the nose? So you mentioned something about people not liking certain things because maybe it's not quote unquote true or, uh, doesn't, um, it's, it's not, uh, based on a, a true story or this is actual events or anything like that. So the only thing maybe, Let's only read documentaries and true stories. Only watch, you know, nature films and things that we know are true, which even that kind of goes off the rails sometimes. But if you think about how did Christ communicate the most Mm. in Scripture? Through parables, Mm -hmm. which were those true? I mean, they were based on, you know, things that the people could, again, like as I mentioned before, relate to. Um, and it, he was using those stories that they could relate to, to put across a point. He could have said, you know, this person over here, and this is a real person. They did such and such and such. Well, that, that was a real, that could have been a real story, but then now he's, he's kind of put, you know, cast a shadow over this individual and we're talking about relationships and that's not going to be a relationship with him if he just got, you know, called out. Um, so I think it people get you know parables that's why he used it so much is they they were understandable and they weren't feeling attacked by like real things that were they were expressing real things that people go through without actually using those events it's kind of like whenever you change a character's name in a book to save face mm-hmm. um, and so like what's the difference in how Christ used parables and then how we use, you know, movies that we come up with and stories that we come up with to put across um, real life things and our struggles that people go through. What's, where's the difference? Where's the disconnect? Mm -hmm. I don't see it. Um, And I think that's one of the biggest things that we like, maybe an argument against that. Yeah. And I've always thought that one way to divine, to, one way to define art is that it's the outward expression of the human nature on an individual level. So if you think about different, uh, if you think about art and how it's been portrayed and expressed throughout history, there have been, there's always that level of personal interpretation and style, but the way that that style is either expressed or put out there can be dictated by what kind of pressures the person is put under, whether it's external through government, religion, anything like that um, can dictate that. And you can, you can follow that pattern throughout history through both art and music and film and watch how those things change. And if you look at maybe historical events during those time frames, it starts to paint this picture 
of what was going on during that time. Um, if you think of like who were the bad guys in some uh, some films back like World War uh, World mm-hmm. War Two, is a lot of them were Germans. Um, and then you go back even further, and you get you know the Koreans and all all of that stuff. It's it's mm-hmm. the bad guys change based on you right. know, what's going on, and vice versa. Um, and so I think it's just short of just being cut and dry a personal like this is how i express myself i express myself through realism i express myself through geometric design um it's all it's all a language and we all speak different languages Hmm. yeah that's a really powerful thought i hadn't really dove into that before but you know i i'm real big into the idea that that god did not create one person, mm-hmm. right? He created, yeah. you know, at this point, we're up to what, six, seven billion living right now. Yeah. Seven billion different people yeah. who are going to have seven billion different life stories. Their journey is going to be different. The way they see the world is going to be different. Mm-hmm. Even if, even if you and I were just to be born together and walk the same path together and go, you know, be joined at the hip, we're going to have a different perspective on the world. Mm-hmm even if because we're you know seeing the world from six inches different yeah. left or right yeah. we're going to be completely different people god created us that way mm. he created us to have this individualized experience that ultimately it is his desire that would be leading us into relationship with him but that's going to be different for me yeah. than it is for you even if we're joined at the hip mm. and i never thought about that 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 art being that lens through which we can see how someone else is viewing the world Hmm. and then that allows i mean we should we should cherish that value that 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 i get i get the privilege of being able to see through your eyes for a minute if i'm willing to look and if you're willing to watch not judge it yeah yeah that's really good yeah so if you if someone just gave you a blank check and said do something awesome with your skills and your talent to to further the the mission the mission and the message of the church what would what would that look like for you hmm. originally um so i mentioned we've i've directed three feature length films mm-hmm. the how that started is that my dad and i was a family production company my dad and i started off wanting to create movies that were based on different topics that you'd go through when having when uh, witnessing to somebody in that order that you would talk that you would start the witnessing process so you wouldn't start off talking about the state of the dead or the sabbath or anything like that you would say you would the first point you would start at would be convincing them or finding out if they even believed in the bible this is where we're this is where everything is based off of so let's kind of let's set that foundation so the first movie that we we did was to establish the validity of the bible the second movie was was then on the state of the dead and where people go when they die. And then again from there went on to the Ten Commandments and so on and so forth. So the whole vision was to make a movie on those different topics. And then you could give that stack of DVDs or uh, Vimeo link or whatever, Netflix mm-hmm. link, to somebody and say, here, just watch these in this order. And then they'd kind of see this whole um, storytelling vision brought to life in front of them as a witnessing tool. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, we weren't able to finish that vision. So I think if that, if that blank check was given to me in that freedom, that would probably be something to finish. Um, but there are so many stories that you could tell um, short of being able to pick one. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that'd be, it'd be a hard choice to make. Mm-hmm. Maybe just, Pick a number that's high enough to be able to do everything you want. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So were the were the stories that you were telling were they were they connected one to the other or was it like a self contained story and then another self contained story and another self contained story? But they were self all self contained stories mm-hmm. that just dealt with different topics. So are those are those um, available anywhere online? Those those movies? Yeah. So um, the last two are on Amazon Prime. Okay. Uh, what are they called? The second one was is uh, Tutu Tangle. Okay. Uh, the number two, T-O, then T-A-N-G-L-E. And the last one is Echo Rhyme. And 
I was I was I was able to be an actor in all of those films. Mm-hmm. Have a slowly so directing at the same time and then being an actor as well, mm-hmm. which was it was a, an interesting experience too. Because then once I was acting, then I'd have to have somebody that I trusted to kind of direct that scene while mm-hmm. I was in it. Yeah, it was a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun. But yeah, so uh, Amazon Prime and then. They were also in Walmart for a period of time. They still might be. There was a short theatrical release. And then Time Collectors, Return of the Giants was our first one. And I believe if if it's not streaming somewhere, you can just go to, to uh, timecollectors.com and purchase a DVD there. Okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And then I've had the benefit of working on other, other projects for other people. And you want to take that full life experience. And so something we were, we were talking about before is like, how did I make that transition from art into mm-hmm. filmmaking? And I mentioned that it had make it made a complete circle yeah, because now, back around to that. now I, uh, I started off as an artist and went into the, for three, four years and then a, in the film industry for 10 years, um, being a director, a cinematographer, a shooter editor for two years. Um, and then now making the transition into, being a storyboard artist and an illustrator for for films which as a storyboard artist you have to have that understanding of the whole process mm-hmm. of production um understanding angles and how they communicate emotion um lighting and cinematography acting and editing because the whole point of storyboard artistry is to save money and time once you get to the production phase of actually shooting instead of that's where you get to work out all of your ideas and like, well, what if we did this and the actor did that and we, you sketch it. I was like, Oh no, that doesn't work. Or mm-hmm. maybe it does work. And then you kind of follow that along. Um, and allows me to have that creative freedom and working with the director without having the whole, the stress of managing that whole production yourself. Mm-hmm. You work with somebody on that and, um, you have the freedom to, if you're freelancing to be able to work from home and where, or wherever you want to be and travel and all those things, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it combines that previous experience of being an artist for so many years. And so that's kind of how I've, I've come, yeah. come full Pulled circle. It all around. Yeah. And I, uh, looking at working at, you know, animation studios at the same time, also getting gigs with people I've worked with before mm-hmm. and being able to travel the world Maybe I'm going to Africa on a shoot and, and, and things like that. And working with people, because I have that breadth of experience, I'm not like pigeonholed into this is all I can do. And I think as a director to have, if you look at it almost like a, as a pyramid, um, the bottom being the greatest breadth of experience that you have and the top being maybe your focus. Mm-hmm. It's good to have the foundation of maybe I've done a little bit of editing. I've done a little bit of acting because as a director it helps to understand the acting process and what an actor goes through when preparing for that role so that you can as i mentioned before actors have different ways of either approaching a character or working with a director understanding that that is something that they struggle with have that conversation with them to begin with like so how how do you see this relationship working together how are we going to collaborate on this project and you kind of break that out same with um, like a cinematographer or as in the industry, like a DP director, photographer, their job is to control, um, take the vision of the director and communicate that through angles and lighting. So they're very important to have as somebody that she either shares your vision, um, or is able to understand it and working very closely with them to be able to do that because they are the ones who at the end of the day is going to that's what the movie's going to look like and if you're able to communicate that through them then you're going to have an end product that is what you imagined and it's always going to change like the story never is always evolving from the very beginning of concept to editing and that's where the editing is where like the final story comes out because you know, as you're once you're on set, you may have a vision for something, but once you get there, you know, the environment changes, mm-hmm. um, circumstances change, or an actor does something that they maybe it was subconscious, but you caught it and it's like, oh, that's let's see if we can incorporate that. So like, you're very you know spontaneous and in, in the moment, and the story changes. Mm. Um, but understanding what role the roles that everyone plays in production, and the fact that they are different. 
and just understanding like just the human nature in general. Um, I think psychology is very is a very interesting topic, but also important for at least somebody in a directorial position to at least have an understanding mm-hmm. um, because you are working with humans and no one's the same. Everyone's going to have their thing and being very patient, being a social person, but also sticking to your guns and um, knowing how to work through different circumstances is going to be very important. And uh, I just, I credit life experiences to being able to, do those things. Um, but it's, it's, uh, having that understanding allows you to communicate the vision to everybody and knowing how to communicate it properly to whoever you're talking to. And that goes back to being a witness. And you mentioned building up that relationship with somebody. Mm -hmm. You don't want to immediately just, you know, barrel right through. This is, this is what I want to do. And I do all this and blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. And my vision or the highway kind of thing. You get to know that person. You start the conversation. Uh, I was working with an actor, actress one time, and um, she she wasn't. My previous experience was first time actors. I mean, we're talking about pulling people from the parking lot of mm-hmm. Walmart to eventually working with actors who have been in Spielberg's Lincoln and TV shows like New Girl and things like that. Being able to work with that caliber caliber of an actor, you you meet this <laughs> whole range or personalities and people and experiences. And you learn to talk to people. And the most important thing you can do is figure out who they are. So you sit down, you have that conversation, and this is either prior or while you're on set and you're trying to pull an emotional scene out of them. And maybe you're just not getting it. You're not getting what you're envisioning quite yet. So you're like, all right, call cut. You go in there, like everyone, like take five. And you start talking to the person. All right, so like, what's going on? Like, tell me, well, what are you feeling? What's what's going on inside? Like, what gets you emotional? And you just start having that dialogue with them. And whether the questions you're asking are directed towards actually getting a specific answer, it might just be seeing how they're responding to to you. Watch them. Pay attention. Hear what they're saying. And then you can start to take that information and mold it and start, all right, cool. I, I hear what you're saying. You've had, you, you've had this experience. Let's take that. What did you feel while you were having that experience? What caused that? Okay, I hear you. Now, can we tap into that? What was it that caused that emotion? Harness it. Now let's use that. And I was able to pull after having this whole conversation with this this young lady, hearing maybe they have like a trigger memory of that causes this emotional buildup. And all you have to do is sometimes just say, hey, so-and-so. And then, okay, I get it. I know what you want. It's just so important to just listen to people and not build up these preconceived perceptions. And this is something you mentioned earlier as far as like you – you notice that you get this perception from people that you're not even like, you're not that guy that they're building up this vision of you're, you're like this, you know, gentle giant as, Mm -hmm. as it were, but it's very hard to overcome those perceptions. And the struggle is that people, they don't listen, whether they don't listen with their eyes as in building up these preconceived ideas and just, I see you, let me get to know you. Let me, not see a skin color let me not see a race let me see a human being with experiences with a life lived that i have no idea what they've been through let me see that person let me get to know that person and hopefully understand them and maybe i'll never see you again maybe i'll never be the person who is able to witness to you enough uh, to the point where um, you get converted or anything like that. But maybe I, I set the seed of be, being that person who listened to you was accepting of you and, um, was maybe just a friend or just somebody who, who heard. And at the very least was just a nice guy or a girl. 
So it's paying attention, listening, and um, sometimes just letting letting the person lead. And that's really important in being a director and being in, in acting, but also in witnessing to somebody. Um, just combining everything we've we've said, it's mm-hmm. it, it. Yeah, it's. I think it's just the biggest thing that we struggle with is just preconceived ideas and notions of of who somebody is. And the best thing we can do is is accept the fact that they are a human being, they are loved, and who are we to do anything but love them as well? Mm. Yeah. All right, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. <laughs> Went through a lot. <laughs> Tie it off right there. Yeah, no, it was good. Um, yeah, man, thank you. Yeah, thank Thanks you for, for taking the me. time and, and uh, sitting down and chatting with me. I appreciate it. It was a great time. Thank you. I just had so much fun uh, talking with Caleb and really got to dig into some things that I'm really passionate about and been thinking about. I hope that uh, some of that discussion just really opened up your mind to think about how you interact with people, um, how you lead others, how you view uh, the people that you're interacting with. I think Caleb did a great job there at the end, just kind of summarizing really the main point, whether you're um, a a leader or just a person who's trying to build relationships or you're a Christian trying to share your faith, remembering to be cognizant of the person that you're interacting with and their feelings, their emotions, their story, their journey. Um, that was so well stated that we have to keep that in mind and, and remember that there's a person that we're talking to. There's a person that we're trying to lead. The, this person that we're interacting with has a story and we have to honor that. And we have to value that. Just one more time, if you're interested in that Masters of Cinema, Religion, and Worldview at Walla Walla University, you can go to filmforhim.org slash called. That's film, the number four, him.org slash called check that out. As always, if you have any graphic design needs that you're uh, looking into right now, head over to 42design.co, reach out to Andrew. You will not be disappointed. He does amazing work every time. Super great guy to work with. I'm super excited about the content coming out the rest of the month of May. Um, Speaking of content coming out, my baby is coming out soon. So I'm super pumped about that. Can't wait to uh, be a dad and and uh and get to have that experience um thanks so much for tuning in this week really appreciate you guys head over to itunes if you like what you've heard or you don't like what you've heard head over to itunes leave a review give me a rating uh, leave a comment on facebook really appreciate all of your feedback and, and any insight that you have questions you may have or content that you want to hear in the future would love to hear that thanks so much for tuning in we'll talk to you next week on the West 5 Podcast.